And I'm sure many of us have stories how during these past two years, our hopes have been dashed in many different ways, in, in many different areas of life. And yet, I'm sure we have great stories of how God worked in mighty ways as well. And I'm sure you guys all have stories that can testify how God secures and accomplishes great victory through great tragedy. One of mine is my father, whom I had been praying for to come to know Jesus. And due to his 40 years of smoking, when they were just doing a simple stent operation, his artery burst and he died on the operating table, flatlined. We received the call from the chaplain that this had happened. I, me and Rebecca, my wife, we dropped to our knees and, and prayed, God, God, can you, can you and your angels just visit my dad in the hospital room where he's at so that he can just have a second chance, a second chance to, to believe in you. Let him see you. And as I'm on my way to go see my dead father, I get a call from my mom saying, he's back, he's back. And, and I, just, I just couldn't believe it. And sure enough, that, that's exactly the case. And, and now he's intubated for about a week. And then when, once he finally wakes up, my dad says, who never talks about spiritual things of any, any kind, he tells my mom, I saw this bright light and I knew it was Jesus. And I saw a bunch of angels in the room. And he said, right there, I knew I was going to be okay. Even though I heard the doctor say, he's gone. Drip. And I, go, and I go visit him, he's like, Jen, I'm a believer now. I'm born again. And, and I just could not believe this. And I just, I just laid my hands on him, and, and I just prayed over him. He's weeping as I'm praying over him. We have a God who accomplishes great victory through great tragedy. We have the God of the resurrection. This is what this is about. And, and this is what I want us to focus on today. You know, and, and again, Easter Sunday just a jubilant, joyful time. But the reason that it is is because prior to that, there was great tragedy. There was, there was a great hopes being dashed to the ground. And if you've ever had your hopes dashed, you can relate to these disciples we're about to read about right now. And how Jesus draws near. Jesus draws near. And, and, and my simple point is this today. Rejoice in God's powerful and precise plan. This is my sermon title, Uplifted. Uplifted. Because these disciples, they were, they were dejected and depressed and defeated. And, 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 but Jesus draws near. And essentially, the place that he gets them to is to rejoice in God's powerful and precise plan. And, and, and you'll see what I mean by that. Um, but we're going to see here in verse 13. We're going to start here, verse 13. Jesus had risen again. They heard reports about this, but they don't know what to believe, just like me driving to the hospital to see what I thought was my deceased dad. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're dejected and confused. Their hopes have been dashed. Verse 13. That very day, this Easter morning, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. That's where their hometown was, about seven miles from Jerusalem, where they were hoping all their hopes to be fulfilled, for Jesus to make everything right. Anybody relate? When you have a struggle or a problem, you're going, Jesus, I, I want you to just solve this right now in the way that I prescribe to you. It, let, let it be done in, in this way, instantaneously, perfectly, conveniently, and painless and without suffering. That's how we want it. That's our Jerusalem hope, so to speak. But they're dejected, and they're on their way to Emmaus. 
They're going home. They're going home. They're going, they're going, what? Jesus, we're giving up hope here. So I'm going to go back to what's comfortable. I'm going to go back to the normal way of things. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You know, you had your hopes up that things would work out. Maybe it was something in your career. Maybe it was with a, a, a romantic relationship. Maybe it was your finances. Anything, something. Maybe your health. And, and it doesn't happen. And so what do we do? Naturally, what our temptation then is, is to go to what's comfortable. The way that we've been dealing with pain all of our lives. The ways in which we've been coping, whatever it is. Whatever mindless addiction it may be. Maybe whatever screen it is, whatever relationship that you know is bad news. Whatever it is, you turn to that to cope. Whatever's comfortable. You could even think back to when you were a little kid. When there was strife in the home, when there was tension in the home, what did you do? Did you retreat? Did you run? What did you do? Chances are you're going to do the same exact thing today unless you encounter this Jesus. What is your Emmaus? Why are you retreating and running? And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Let's pause there. Again, they have these crushed hopes. Broken hearted. Jesus, I thought you were going to do it like this. I, we, this you, we put all our hope in you. We've been following you for all these years, hoping that you would do this thing. But you didn't do it for us. Matter of fact, you were violently killed and defeated. What happened? And, and again, I think this is something that many of us can relate to. Number one, we don't even deserve that. <laughs> we don't deserve redemption, but we put these unwarranted expectations on God to do it this way. And when it doesn't happen, we run. But check this out. I love this. Verse 15, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. What? Even in their disbelief, Jesus draws And he went with them. Child of God, if you find yourself like that, that because of these things, my dashed hopes, I, I, I just feel stuck. Matter of fact, I feel like I'm backsliding. Jesus can meet you and draw near and go with you to bring you back, however long it takes. I don't know about you guys, but that's good news to me. He went with them. He draws near. Psalm 34, 18 says this. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And, and, and look at that. <laughs> look at verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. God's hiddenness does not mean his absence. God's hiddenness does not mean his absence. Sometimes God will appear to be absent or hidden but it's to test you. Will you trust that he's drawing near and that he's with you? These disciples don't see that. Now, I've told this story before. My father-in-law, in the early 90s, he was living up in, in the, the suburbs way up north, and he was working there. And he, he stopped by Whitehead Pantry, convenience store, to, to get a donut. And he's, he's looking at the donuts. He loves donuts. And, and a voice behind him says, are they any good? And he just doesn't even look. He's just like, yeah, they, they look and 
a big hand reaches and grabs a donut, and he doesn't even pay attention. And then what he hears from the cashier ringing up this, this big man says, um, same thing, Mike? Coke and a donut? Rings him up. Leaves the, door, the store, and then my father-in-law finally gets his donut. He's going, he's like, wait, wait a second. And he looks over there, and he sees the car leaving, and it says 23 in a Corvette. And so he's, he's like, what? he says to the, to the cashier clerk, was that Michael Jordan? He's like, yeah, it was. He comes here every morning. He's like, why did he talk to me? Michael Jordan just talked to me. He, he, my father-in-law is so focused on the thing that he wanted to, to, to just, you know, receive that immediate pleasure. He missed the greatness that was there. In a similar way, in our trials, what we do is that we go to certain things to comfort ourselves, to feel comforted. Maybe it is the fridge. Maybe it is a donut. I don't know what it is for you guys. You fill in the blank. And yet Jesus is trying to draw near to us in our brokenness. And yet we totally miss him. We don't see that he's near and going with us. Let's keep going. Verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Let's pause right there. What we see here is that Jesus, he, you ever feel like God wants to talk to you about something? <laughs> In your conscience, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is trying to convict you about something that you're keeping up. And he's trying to tell you, hey, let's talk about that. Stop going away. Let's talk. That's what Jesus is doing here. Psalm 51, King David, after his affair and, and murder and lying and scheming, he says to God in his confession, in this beautiful confession that he pens to, to God, Psalm 51, he says, you desire truth in the inner parts. You want to talk about that. You want to address that. You want to take out the lies. And you want truth. This is what Jesus wants to do with us as well. And they stood still looking Sad. Sad. I think many of us can relate to this. When your hopes are dashed, you feel immobilized. You feel frozen. You don't even know how to move forward. You try to put on a happy face, but you don't know how. And Jesus sees right past that. He sees the sadness, and he wants to talk about that. What is it that's keeping you down? Let's talk, child. Verse 18. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does, who does not know the things that have happened here, there, in these days? Are, are you the only one? Verse 19, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, <laughs> Jesus is awesome, you know. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped this. Again, remember, the Proverbs say, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I'm sure many of us have, our, have had our hopes deferred, and you know this truth very well. It makes the heart sick, but a hope fulfilled is a tree of life. And what is happening here is that their hope has been deferred. It's a real poignant statement they're making. They're like, look, we, we really, things are looking good with Jesus. But things got really bad. Not, not only were the things that we wanted him to solve not solved, those problems actually took him over. 
and now he's nowhere to be seen. Again, remember, God's hiddenness does not mean his absence. God's hiddenness does not mean his absence. I mean, and if we're, we're going to be honest, <laughs> maybe it wasn't Jesus that we were hoping in. Maybe we've had other hopes that superseded Christ in our hearts. Whatever it may be, we put our hopes in money, possessions, people, career, this world. And then inevitably our hopes become dashed. In a sense, strewn along the timeline of our lives is a bunch of corpses. All these gods that we had hoped in, all these idols that we hoped in, that were to never rise again. And all we see are dead corpses strewn along the path. And there we are standing still, sad. Let's keep going. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, this is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as a woman had said. But him they did not see. They did not see. So let's pause right there. What we see here is that they had a hope in a specific kind of Jesus, a half-Jesus. They believed in Jesus' power to overcome, you know, the, the effects of sin and all the things that were making their lives miserable. They believed in that power, but they didn't believe in his precise plan and of how he's going to bring that about. So they believed in a half-Jesus. And how many of us are sitting here struggling in our walk with Christ because we believe in a half-Jesus. We only believe in Jesus half as loving as revealed in the gospel. So we look for love elsewhere. We only believe in Jesus as half powerful as revealed in the gospel. So we do everything in our strength to accomplish good in our lives. We only believe in Jesus half as holy as revealed in the gospel. So we live a life that's half up to par with the righteousness that he calls us to. What half Jesus are you following? Resurrection Sunday is when we get the full Jesus, the crucified and risen Jesus, who conquered Satan, sin, and death, and will one day, one day make all things good. Revelation chapter 21. So we look to that day, and right now we persevere through trial and suffering that Jesus said will come. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, the world will hate you. If they hated the master, they will hate the servant, the messenger. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Be ready to be ridiculed and mocked. But we had hoped, all these things. And so their hopes are dashed. Their hopes are dashed. And then what does Jesus say? Verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That is the whole entire Old Testament. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? What Jesus does here is what we know as rebukeagement. Rebuke plus encouragement. Rebukeagement. I love that. He rebukes them, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. All that was written, 
All the entire precise plan by our powerful God was written down of what exactly was supposed to happen. And Jesus himself said many times during his ministry with them, I will be crucified, I will be handed over, and, and, and I will, be, I will uh, die and rise again on the third day. But they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. They were slow to believe, slow of heart to believe, to be exact. How many of us, despite all the promises of God written right here, are slow of heart to believe? It's like God is saying, you know, he's promised, okay, look, I'm going to take care of you. I'll provide for you. I love you. All these things. And we're slow to believe that. We're slow to catch up. We're like, okay, but I'm not sure. And we're just slowly dragging our feet when Jesus is saying, follow me, based on what I have promised and revealed. And we're slow Slow of heart to believe. And so what Jesus does is that he reorients their hearts onto his powerful and precise plan. That's exactly what he does. So in verse 27, he gives them a biblical theology of himself and what exactly that powerful and precise plan is through the entire scriptures. This is beautiful. So in beginning with Moses, that is all the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and, and all the prophets, so that's everything else, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It, the entire thing points to Jesus. This is not just a rubric. This is a meta-narrative. This is an entire story about Jesus and his coming and, and his death and his resurrection and him consummating all things to himself for his glory. And within the Old Testament itself, there is known to be about 456 prophecies about himself. 456. And mathematicians have tried to calculate how insanely impossible this is, improbable. They, for, for, that, for that 456 prophecies through the entire Old Testament, for that to be fulfilled, they said the chances are 10 to the 157th power. That's 157 zeros after the 10. That's how improbable it is. But even if you try to narrow it down to like eight prophecies, like eight, right? That is 10 to the 17th power. 17 zeros after the 10. To give you a better understanding, just to put this in perspective, it's like taking um, a bunch of half dollar coins and filling the entire state of Texas with them, piling it two feet high, and then marking one of them with a black dot. And then sending a man blindfolded to go find that one silver dollar that's marked through two feet of silver dollars through the entire state of Texas. That's only eight prophecies. We're talking 456 total. This powerful and precise plan. And, and, and here's why this is so important. Here's why this, because in our sadness, when our hopes are dashed, when we don't know how to keep going, when we're standing still, looking sad, not knowing how to move forward, here's what the world will tell us what we need. You need better self-esteem. You need self-help. This is what the secular world, secular therapists and counselors will tell you. These are the mantras of, of our culture. You need better self-esteem. You need to feel better about yourself. Then you can move forward. Doesn't work on so many levels. Let me just unpack that for you. Why does self-esteem not work? Because, firstly, self-esteem is done on a relative scale. You're always comparing yourself to others. There's always someone that has more than you. 
And, and the reason you're down on yourself is because, oh, I'm not as rich, or I'm not as good looking, or I'm not as successful. You name it, you fill in the blank. All those things, all those standards are based on a relative skill. You're only rich because you're richer than someone else. You're only good looking because you're more good looking than someone else. You're only successful and achieve more because you've achieved this, been more successful than someone else. It's always done on a relative scale. So here's the thing. That means it's always threatened. There's always someone who has more than you, someone who's more richer, someone's more beautiful, someone's more, much more successful, you name it. So you will always feel threatened. You will eventually feel empty and need more and more and more. It's an endless chase. And here's why this is a trap too. Moreover, is that if you continue that chase, what's going to happen? You start to earn the, the, the love and the applause of people, the affirmation. But once you start getting that, you begin to realize, wait a second, do these people love me because I have those things? Or do they love me for me? And it's incredibly crushing on the inside. How are we doing? Self-esteem will never work. It's a trap. But what does Jesus do? (laughs) He gets their eyes on his powerful and precise plan. We're looking for hope. When he has a powerful and precise plan, I don't need to be powerful. And I don't need to plan out my life. I don't need self-esteem. I don't need self-help. What I need is a God who has power and has a precise plan and he's carrying it out. That's what I need. And that's where I will have hope. And check out what happens. What happens to them? New hope begins to arise in their hearts. Verse 32, they said to each other after Jesus left, he said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Our hearts burned within us when we began to see his powerful and precise plan. Hope began to resurrect and uplift in their hearts. It went from slow of hearts to hearts that are burning. Self-help and self-esteem will not do that. It's a trap. And this is what Jesus offers us. This is what Resurrection Sunday is about, is that we see the crucified and risen Christ has a powerful and precise plan. That's what I need. That's what my heart needs. And what happens, verse 33, it says, what happens next? And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found 11, those who were gathered together with them, saying, the Lord has risen indeed. (sighs) Slow of heart to believe. They understand the powerful, precise plan of God. Hearts begin to burn, and then they rise. And with great joy, they declare, who has a powerful and precise plan? Rejoice. We have hope. Now in this world and forever in eternity, because Jesus rose again. Child of God, let this be your hope. Trust and rejoice in God's powerful and precise plan in Christ. No one and nothing else. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, Lord, th- th- we, we are just so thankful, Lord, that even though we are slow of heart to believe, even though we are so foolish at times, Lord God, you encourage us. You, you draw near to us. You go with us. And you open to us promises of your word, specifically your powerful and precise plan that you have carried out and will carry out. And because of that, our hearts can burn and rise and follow you 
and declare you into a world and desperately in need of you. And we can endure rejection in this world. It doesn't matter, Lord. We, 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 we've got you, Lord. You are the one that's in control. You are the one that gives us hope. Your love is all we need. Your love revealed fully at the cross where our sin debt was paid despite ourselves. And three days later to rise again to prove you indeed are the Messiah just as you promised. And you promised to be with us always as we declare you to this world in need of you and that you will come back and bring us home. Lord, we, we glorify you for this powerful and precise life. And we let go of the things that we've tried to make ourselves, cheer ourselves up with. It's not working. It's a trap. So Lord, this morning we call out to you, draw near to us. Walk with us. And open up our eyes to your powerful and precise plan. Be lifted up in our lives, just as you were lifted up from the grave. In Jesus' name, amen.